you know, fish. You know, Tom, I was thinking, not about me personally. who would make I th I think the best astronomers? I mean, think about it. Who has the, the perfect synthesis of career power. and lifestyle? Well, science. I give. Vampires! <laughs>
And particularly this project is using the data from the ESA XMM Newton satellite in X-rays and the huge database of optical images, some of them obtaining with telescope in the northern hemisphere and some few others with a telescope in the southern hemisphere. And the telescope at the southern hemisphere, it is precisely the UK Smith telescope in Silent ah. Spring Observatory. It's a beautiful telescope. A very beautiful one that have been able to survey all the southern sky. In this web page, just compare the two images. There's several versions to do that. I have done this this morning a couple of times very <laughs> easily. So you say, okay, that is the map of the X-ray emission that, of course, doesn't have too much resolution. And the image that you see in optical frequencies. And then you compare if there is an excess of X-ray emission and at the same time you see many galaxies, many little dots at galaxies. Then it could be a cluster. And that could be a cluster that you are just discovering. Mm. Because these things are not that easy to be found using algorithms with mm. computers. And humans are much better at finding patterns in some cases, in terms of like looking at pictures. Yes, definitely. And that is why these kind of projects of citizen science have been so important in the last decade or so, because it is providing all the brain power of hundreds, thousands, even a million of people that have been digging into those images and trying to see, okay, that is a galaxy or it is not. It is what kind of galaxy, for example, the very famous one, the first one, the galaxy Zoo project and now it is something very similar and as I said very easy to use I will repeat that again the hunt for galaxy clusters please have a look check it out on Zoo Universe or Zooniverse I like Zooniverse Zooniverse is nice well thank you for your contribution to space news I also have some space news there was an article put out in the news and it is titled the pasta in our stars the pasta in our stars Yes, and I'm so excited about this because this means that two of my absolute favorite things, pasta and space, have been combined together finally. <laughs> so, how does pasta relate to stars? Well, we all know about neutron stars. We've talked about neutron stars a few times on this mm -hmm. podcast. Um, and neutron stars are pretty crazy. They're very dense. They're only about the size of a major city. But a teaspoon of a neutron star's mass could be about the same mass as a mountain on the earth just a teaspoon a mountain so they're pretty insane but we still don't know what's on the inside so astronomers have run some theoretical models and the structure has been compared to the shape of some of our favorite pastas okay yes so from these models we have a rigid crust of iron on the outside actually before i go any further neutron stars you would assume are made of mostly neutrons which you would be mostly correct but there are still some forms of protons and electrons in there too. So when I talk about nuclei, I'm talking about protons and neutrons. Okay, so the rigid crust of iron on the top. Protons and neutrons are spherical in shape, like Noki. Noki, of course. Noki, yep. As you get deeper, things get crushed a bit more, so they're being flattened out. So the nuclei are now long and stringy, like spaghetti. Okay, so you have first the gnocchi, first the gnocchi, then the spaghetti, then the spaghetti. Even deeper, you get flattened even more, and the spaghetti turns into flat sheets of lasagna. Lasagna, of course. Of I course. was expecting that. Yes. But further down is where it gets interesting. 
Further down, neutrons can escape the nuclei and form cylindrical voids. Anti-spaghetti. Anti-spaghetti. Mm-hmm. And I think you can buy this at the shops. You can buy, like, it's, it's like spaghetti, but there's a tube inside of it. Okay. So well, I, I, I had never seen that, but anyway, you say that. It makes it very hard to slurp. It's like a straw, like a slippery <laughs> straw. Anyway, even further down, these voids morph into blobby shapes. That's where you get your anti-knocky. Anti-knocky. <laughs> yep. And now we've made our way all the way down to the core, where unfortunately there is no pasta shape to compare the structure to. Perhaps someone have to get a new shape of pasta for that. Mm-hmm. A, the neutron star core pasta, maybe. No. That's an bit, idea. That's a bit of a mouthful, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. But, but can I ask who had this crazy idea? Who had this crazy? The the astronomers who are looking at um, the structure, just using their models. They said it looked like pasta, so we're going to describe it with pasta. And maybe they were just feeling hungry at the time. Really, no, <laughs> they were just trying to get a nice connection into communicating this to the public because I think it is a very interesting idea. It is, and it gets people talking about pasta. And astronomy. <laughs> and okay. astronomy. So that is uh, my space news for this week. Very nice. So now we get on to what seems to be the main part of this episode for this episode. It is our feedback. Feedback. We have received plenty of feeds, haven't have, we? We have feedback. We have feedback. We have feedback. We have questions. I'm because so excited. They were so excited to, to have them back. Finally, after all this huge break. Mm -hmm. So they were just looking forward to send some questions. Of course, of course. It wasn't me posting on Twitter and Facebook saying, send us your spooky questions at all. <laughs> <laughs> so, but we do have some awesome questions. And in the theme of our spooky Halloween theme for today, we have a few spooky questions and a few uh, general questions as well. But we'll start with some spooky ones. A nice little one. Why is it called the Ghost of Jupiter? It's from my colleague at Sydney Observatory, Nathaniel. So we've got a planetary nebula called the Ghost of Jupiter. Why is it called the Ghost of Jupiter? That is a good question. I like that nebula very much, NGC 3242, because I actually observed it last February or March using the Anglo-Australian Telescope. Ah, there you go. Very nice. Well, apparently it is, well, it's an... Planetary nebula, not to be confused with a protoplanetary disk. Planets are not formed in a planetary nebula. It's a common misconception. But it was discovered on the 7th of February, 1785, and was officially catalogued as H4.27. It's a standard name for a star in the old times. Yep, what a, what a great name. But it is frequently called the ghost of Jupiter, or even Jupiter's ghost, due to its similar size to the planet. The apparent size of the nebula when you see from Earth, it is more or less roughly the same size of Jupiter as it is seen from Earth. Yes, it is actually about two light years wide and contains a central white dwarf that can be easily observed with amateur telescopes and appears bluish green to most observers. But yeah. you have a photo of it here. I well. have the photo here, yes, and that you can see very easily the white dwarf in the center mm. and the nebulosity kind of a spherical shape evolving all of the system. So as I said, a very nice image that we took with the Anglo-Australian telescope around March this year. Very pretty. I do like it. Yeah, I like it. I do like it indeed. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, 
We have more feedback to get through. We have more feedback. What else do we have? Well, from Wesley, we have a question. What would be the scariest planet in our solar system to be potentially stranded on a la the Martian style? What do you think? Venus. Yeah, I was going to say Venus too. Venus is really scary. Well, don't want to go there. No. In any case. No. Don't go. No. Don't go. It is hell. <laughs> we said that before some we few have. times. It is but, literally hell. Oh, v- Venus would be a very uh, interesting object to be included in our kind of a spooky Halloween episode today mm. because it is really hell. It, it is. It's, it is gets so, to 500, 400, 500 degrees Celsius yeah, sans, on the surface. Something like that. It's and a runaway greenhouse effect that makes it so hot. A pressure of more than 100 times the pressure of the, of the surface of the atmosphere, of our atmosphere in there. Yep. So, so your eardrums will most certainly burst if yeah. you're on the surface of Venus. Lead will be liquid. Oh, wow. Lead would be liquid. <laughs> Whoa. So <laughs> That's scary. Don't go to Venus. Don't go to Venus. And it is around all the planet. It is not only the part that is uh, receiving the light from the sun, because it doesn't matter. (laughs) It Mm -hmm. is just this crazy runaway greenhouse effect Mm. that it is planet-wide. Exactly. And even if it was um, not covered in this atmosphere, its average temperature would not be much bigger than the Earth's average temperature. Our average temperature is, what, 15 degrees or something? Something like that, something yes. Like that. It, uh, we have, the, our planet Earth has a bit of greenhouse effect, of mm-hmm. course, and it has been very good because without that greenhouse effect, the majority of the planet will be frozen. Yes, yes, indeed. Venus, don't go there. Don't go there. Don't go there. Okay, I'm going to go off from about our spooky theme right now to a, a very interesting question from Anthony on Twitter. Uh, He was watching a Twitter feed last night about black holes and the hypothetical white holes. As a white hole is the inverse of a black hole, are astronomers looking for areas of inversion? Areas of inversion. Yes, this is what kind of stumped me up. Because I'm like, well, what what is an area of inversion? Is it of inversion of the gravitational field? Is it inversion of light, dark matter, dark energy? I will say, following the question, that would be something like a region in the space in which we are seeing how matter is created of coming to the universe from mm. some place that we have not seen it, that would be the kind of the opposite of what we sometimes consider a black hole is. Yeah. That was kind of speculative because when we started to discover the quasars around 50 years ago or so, that was one of the ideas, mm. that it was about what a quasar is. That was a point in the space, in the other part of the universe, where all the matter that has been eaten or taken by a black hole, it is released into the space mm. again. But of course, now we know that that is completely wrong. Yes. <laughs> and yes. actually, quasars are also black holes. Mm-hmm. Supermassive black holes, very massive. Which just have a lot of stuff on the outside, which is lit up. Exactly. And moving so fast. Moving very, hole. very fast. And it is very hot mm. and changing very rapidly. And that is why the variation on the quasar is relatively uh, interesting to follow because it can be done in just even few days to months, years. You can see how it is a kind of variability in quasars. That means that they are very small. Mm-hmm smaller than the size of our solar system. And all is happening in, in there. 
But again, we have now very nice models showing that it is a massive black hole. Mm. Some few hundreds, millions, or even thousand millions times, a billion times, more massive than our sun. That's, that's pretty insane. Well, it, well, after seeing this question and being absolutely stumped and not knowing a lot about white holes, except that it's a theory of some sort that it's the opposite of a black hole. I went and did some Googling. So, found out that white holes are permitted theoretically, but are not taken as seriously as black holes by physicists because there's no process that would lead naturally to their formation. They could only exist if they were built into the formation of the Big Bang. So, in quantum mechanics, black holes emit Hawking radiation to maintain what's called thermal equilibrium. So, not being too hot, not being too cold, they're in a nice little happy place, I guess. Uh, but because thermal equilibrium state is a time reversal invariant, so it doesn't matter if you go backwards in time or forwards in time, they will always be in thermal equilibrium. Stephen Hawking argued that the time reversal of a black hole in thermal equilibrium is again a black hole in thermal equilibrium, suggesting that black holes and white holes are in fact the same object. So there you go. Okay, but... It's an in, interesting thought. It is an interesting thought, but as a professional astrophysicist, I will say that uh, I have never seen or met anybody that have taken seriously this kind of objects. Of mm. there, was, there was one account of a gamma ray burst potentially being a white hole. It's not very well supported. <laughs> Probably no, probably no, no because um, again, many others kind of explanation to explain what happened with this gamma ray burst. Let's move on to a question from Sam from Facebook, a friend of mine from uni. Sam asks, what is the most dangerous thing in the universe? What do you think? Well, I did some digging, and according to JG Science's video titled Top 10 Most Deadly Things in the Universe on YouTube, the most dangerous thing in the entire universe is quantum collapse. Quantum collapse. Quantum collapse. They say, science has a theory, and it goes like this. Since energy can be converted to mass by E equals mc squared, and if matter is the second state and energy is the first of some kind of substance, is there a third? This is called false vacuum. Hmm. They then go on to explain that the Big Bang came out of something causing the protoverse, an infinitesimal point full of all the Earth's energy, to transform into mass. If this is true, then there can be a third, or then can there be a third state of which matter can convert into any instant of time? So matter just disappearing willy nilly. They then go on to say, if it can, that is matter turning into some other unknown state of something, then there is serious danger to everything made up out of matter in the universe and so destroying every structure in the universe. Okay, that is scary, really. It certainly is scary. But I was thinking more in an asteroid that is colliding the Earth, or a supernova that is happening relatively close to us, mm -hmm. or in a black hole, a small one that we haven't seen coming to the solar system, and suddenly it is here and disturbing the movement of the planets and all have are going away or if not into the black hole yep okay so interesting perhaps interesting. i should have mentioned those before perhaps, starting... well, some of the other things on their list of deadly things in the universe include neutron stars at number 10 mm. uh, number six is the elusive dark matter 
which is interesting. I think Why? they're just worried that we don't know what it is, so it's all scary. It is scary, but um, it is scary that we don't know, but it is also good because that is providing us the opportunity of doing more research exactly, in the it universe. Exactly, provides us with jobs. <laughs> <laughs> Getting jobs too, of course. And coming in at number five is dark energy. And number three is, you guessed it, Black holes. Black holes, of course. Black mm -hmm. holes have to be there. Dark energy is also interesting because there is this idea, one of the hypotheses, how the universe will end with a big rip, which is mm. just the expansion of the universe of the, the, because of the dark energy. It's so intense, so strong that it's able to rip not only the atoms, but also the so particles of the atoms apart. Mm. They also said uh, at number two, so not quite as scary as false vacuum and quantum collapse. But number two is entropy. Entropy is very scary, yes. I should have thought about that. <laughs> <laughs> so for those who don't know what entropy is, or if those who remember the, uh, I don't know, was it on Star Wars or Star Trek, entropy. So entropy in a scientific term is that anything prefers to turn into chaos. If I drop a glass, it will break. And it won't somehow re-magically form into its original form. Ordered form. There we go. Exactly. So that is a way of, so, of measuring the order in the universe. Of that we have first very organized things and then we are going to more chaotic mm. ways that the universe is having more complexity. Yeah. And uh, more different kind of states. That have been sometimes argued as the arrow of the time. Mm. Because it is one of the few things in physics in which you cannot reverse. Yes. And there is a very famous, the second law of thermodynamics, that is say that entropy is, is always increasing. Is always increasing. Yeah. And they have never been proven the other way around. It is one of the strongest themes in physics. So it can be very scary. It is so scary that I think even it was used as a theme for the Simpsons one. <laughs> Homer was saying, in this house, we always respect the laws of thermodynamics because there was something that he was doing everything like a perpetual thing, a perpetual movement that is against the second law of yep. thermodynamics because of the increasing of, of entropy. <laughs> That's awesome. So there you go. The most deadliest thing in the universe is quantum collapse with a few other things that are a little bit scary too. Okay, well, let's, let's move off the uh, spooky theme for a nice... Uh, Nice little question from my brother, Justin. Okay, your brother also. My brother. He's got <laughs> so many great space, space questions. It's awesome. Uh, he asks, what is the current moon count up to in the solar system? Uh, did, did you count it all? I did, I did. Okay, so we've got Mercury at an elusive zero. Venus also at zero. Then we have our wonderful Earth with one. Mars with two. So that makes three in total. Okay, hope you're counting at home. Jupiter has 79. So a few more. Saturn, 62. Uranus, 27. Neptune, 14. Pluto has five. I didn't know that. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah, Pluto has five. So that gives us a total of 190, possibly more. Are you counting Pluto as a planet? I don't think so. But there's counting moons. Oh, hmm. that's a good point. Hmm. So 185, I guess? <laughs> <laughs> What do we call what do we call no, natural satellites of minor planets? There should be also moons, yes. Why Mi not? Minor moons? Min minor moons. Moon moon moons. moons? <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. No, let, let, let's say that for that uh, we can consider the moons around a dwarf planet. Mm -hmm. Then you should add a I 
think it was Haumea mm. that has two. Oh. I think to remember on top of my head. I don't... Yeah. Comp- there is one of the other. I don't remember if it is Eris. I think it is not Eris. I think it is Haumea mm. that has two. Right. Oh, there you go. And there are asteroids that also have moons. For example, Ida that was visited by the spacecraft Galileo when it was in its way to Jupiter and discovered a small satellite. I think it is called Dactyl, that little one. So we'll go with a total of 190, possibly more. (laughs) There will be more for sure. There's bound to be a lot more. I reckon it would be at least 200. Particularly the giant planets. We will continually discovering new satellites around yeah. this Well, Jupiter project. just went up from 69 to 79. When was that? Because that was what I was going to add. Because just a month or a couple of months or very recently. It was recently. Very recently. At least a few months ago. But I have very little concept of time. <laughs> <laughs> well, they, they added around 10 new moons that they mm, have found. They confirmed 12 more. And I know 69 plus 79 is not... Yeah. Well, between is not ten, that uh, is, not twelve. That uh, is the typical question in a test that I have never liked. The <laughs> typical question of how many moons Jupiter has. Mm, well, right now we know how many seventy nine. Seventy nine. Seventy nine. But in the past were sixty nine or seventy sixty five or something like that. Mm. And if you see this very nice TV show for kids, which is called Ready Jet Go. That is cartoons. Have we talked about Ready Jet Go here? I don't think so. Okay, well, we'll do it in a future episode. But it is just a very short uh, 15, 20 minutes cartoons by uh, a extraterrestrial uh, alien that is living on Earth and they are doing things and exploring the solar system. And it is quite accurate, astronomically talking. Ooh. And there was one, in, I think, in the second season that he actually counts the 65 moons of Jupiter huh. by name, Whoa. naming all of them. Now that's impressive. And, and it is a song. I can barely remember the first four. <laughs> Sometimes I forget one of them. We will follow this for the next episode, okay? Perhaps we will talk a bit more about this TV show because I love it. Mm-hmm. And I have used some few times the song that they're using for kids for naming the solar system and explaining the Milky Way and the scientific method, which is very good. So uh-huh. let me let me check about that and we will go back to, to there. But as I was saying, bad question, how many moons a planet has? Unless it is the Earth of, you know, Mercury. Because <laughs> <laughs> we know definitely that they only have one or zero. <laughs> <laughs> for example. True or false. <laughs> right. Well, there you go. Uh, there you go, Justin. A total of 190, possibly more, we think is... There's always going to be more. It's always going to be going up. Just like you said, you thought it was 130 last time and you're baffled. (laughs) We're certainly baffled by at least 200 as well. Uh, And one more question I want to bring out for us today, Angel, is from Angela. Angela, hello. Mm -hmm. Nice name. (laughs) She asks, on Earth, people often feel spooked by creepy old places. Are there any stories of astronauts feeling spooked in the modern environment of spacecrafts surrounded by modern tech traveling through space? Do astronauts get spooked? Not that I'm aware of. 
Neither was I until I did a little Google search and searched spooked astronauts. I then found a video titled Astronauts Freak Out as UFOs Fly Past the International Space Station. Truth be told, I steered clear of that video. (laughs) However, I did find another video about a Chinese astronaut who flew up into space hearing random and non-rhythmic knocking sounds coming from the outside of the spacecraft while he was alone orbiting around the Earth. And what was that? They don't know. They don't know. They don't know. He, the reports say that he looked out the window and he couldn't see anything. Um, it didn't last for very long, I don't think. They haven't been able to replicate the sound either when they came back down to Earth as well. So no. mm, apparently is. other astronauts who have gone up in similar spacecrafts had also found the same sound. Well, we have to say that perhaps being in a spacecraft, particularly now that we are in our very beginnings of doing this, can be sometimes very spooky. Mm. Well, take the International Space Station just a few months ago. They had a, a leak. Yeah, they That's had a, very that, spooky. That leak. And that, it is not the first one that had happened. had happened also in the old mirror that mm. they have to close completely one of the models mm. because they couldn't fix it. They knew that there was uh, they were losing the, the air, the pressure, and they found where it was, but there was no way of getting there to fix it. Mm. So, yeah, definitely can be scary. And it is giving plenty of ideas for science fiction people to write novels and movies, <laughs> particularly movies. Ah, that, that is remind me that very bad movie with Sandra Bullock. I was oh, called Gravity. 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 Oh, come on. <laughs> Oh, I still haven't seen it, but I know it's just going to oh. be a comedy to me if I oh, watch it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Destroying everything that we have in our <laughs> space, basically. Isn't there a, a scene in there where, like, George Clooney farts and then Sandra Bullock can smell it, even though they're in two separate spacesuits? Mm, I don't remember that precise I might be imagining thing, that, but, but yeah. um, well... It's things like that that just make us go... <laughs> that is... One more into many others. And dest- <laughs> as I said, destroying everything. I have seen it only once and I said, oh my God. <laughs> Although many people were very excited about the movie because the, the views are really nice. And the beginning, just a couple of first minutes that you see the earth and everyone is fine. Mm. Fixing the Hubble telescope. Oh, is it about fixing the Hubble telescope? Fixing the Hubble telescope oh. and suddenly something happened and, well, no more Hubble telescope. And that is oh. the beginning of destroying, as I said, everything. Uh, spoiler alert. Sorry. <laughs> spoiler alert. <laughs> it's right. It's just, it's just, yeah, don't worry. It's a drama, not a scientifically accurate movie, it seems. We also have Aliens, the movie. <laughs> oh, yeah, true. <laughs> and wait, it's... No, because you have Alien is the first one. Okay, Alien is the first one, and Alien is the second one, and there's some few more. But mm, I know is... because my friend always tells me you've got Alien the first, and then Aliens is the second one. Mm. Which I think is a very smart way to name your movie. Mm-hmm. It it's is. like, instead of two aliens, you just call it Aliens. <laughs> <laughs> In any way, the first one was a very interesting one. A spooky, of course. Mm. And again, as it was in the middle of the 80s, I think that it was when this film was made, probably, yes, and right, because I saw it when I was a kid, definitely have to be. It is providing all this spooky theme about the space, the very confined places, the kind of being in the dark that you are running out of your batteries and your food and whatever, and there's mm-hmm. something out there killing the rest of the crew, and you have tried to say yourself or it's like the Halloween the movie or any kind of similar kind of uh, horror movie but into the space using 
the fact that they are in a spacecraft. Right. Astronauts can get spooked, but maybe not the same spooked as we may think of we're in, I don't know, a haunted house feeling spooked. Haunted houses. Sometimes I have thought, particularly when I have been observing alone in the dark, in remote places, in a telescope, professional telescope, that those will be also very nice location for haunted houses <laughs> or for doing a horror movie. Oh, yes. I thought about zombies coming there in the corridors. <laughs> Not aliens, but zombies. Yes. I like zombies more. <laughs> <laughs> oh, very nice. Very nice. Yes. Well, I'll tell you what. I always get spooked when I'm observing because I don't like the dark. <laughs> you don't like the dark? I don't like the dark. Why? It's... I, I get freaked out. I love what, the dark. I mean, I love the dark when I can see the stars and I can see and my eyes have adjusted, but going from a bright room into night, I freaked out. So, yes, I am afraid of the dark and there's a very funny story about this so I took uh, my boyfriend Jamie up to the AAT for Starfest in uh, at the start of this month and we were uh, allowed to go and have a look and check out what the astronomers are doing at the night check out how they're doing their observations they were using the 2DF which was amazing an object I know very well um, but we exited out of our room in the lodge from a bright room where your eyes have adjusted to the light we go outside and the door shuts and it's just completely pitch black. It appears completely pitch black because our eyes haven't adjusted. And I cling to his arm so hard that he spills his Coke can. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I still feel bad. I'm sorry, Jamie. <laughs> I don't think that you are the only one or you are the only ones that have had this kind of feeling because mm. I have seen that in many people, even in myself, the first time that I was in a professional observatory, although... For me, it was interesting because I was very, very, very sick and I have to return to the to the lodge. And then I, I went outside and I couldn't see anything. Mm. But the stars. But the stars. But the stars. Yes. It was that kind of different approach. But I remember just trying to see my hand and I couldn't see absolutely anything. Mm. The stars were the only thing that were out there. And I know that some people have had this kind of not feeling very comfortable with this kind of feeling it is very confronting to like not know not be able to see where you're going and only see to be fair when i looked up into the stars i'm like i'm in my happy place i'm in my happy place right now i can <laughs> see the stars it's okay <laughs> she didn't you up that is good yes but what i loved about the aat is that when it gets dark the elevator turns red yeah, I love that. It I have always so cool. loved that. I didn't. I never knew because I was only doing day work when I was there oh, you the didn't. first time. You mm. didn't know. I only found out when we were there a month ago. That was always very fun, particularly because everything is changing its appearance, particularly the colors, because mm. you don't see the red. The red, I was wearing uh, something red and it was white. Yeah. Because of the light. Exactly. Or some blue, it is just coming in a different way. of uh, It is just changing changing the way you see things because of having this red light. It's that, of course, cool. it is just for helping our eyes mm. to adjust to obscurity, to the dark. Indeed. Having said that, the red light is very bright in the elevator as well. It still is very... It's very intense red light. Mm -hmm. You have to use very dim red lights and using, in a clever way, illuminating the path and no coming the light into your eyes. Mm. Well, that is all of our feedback. I have a couple of extra things here. We were talking about the cobbling in mm. the previous episode. 
the Goblin Planet, also known as 2015 TG387. Okay, you know the, the, that <laughs> name. I only know by the Goblin of El Duende. <laughs> very Halloween in some way. Very Halloween-y. Yeah, Halloween-y. Very Halloween-y. Thank it's you. It's a dwarf goblin. It's a dwarf uh, a goblin. goblin dwarf. You were the person who was informing me about the first time about the existence of this object. And I have been actually checking after that what it is and how we found it. That you were very, very, very right. But still, I find that is out of feedback, let's say. I find that it is a bit difficult to say that it is a dwarf planet. Okay. <laughs> so it might be a dwarf planet, we don't mm. know. But I have checked and the estimation of the size of, of this object, that is around 300 kilometers, have a huge uncertainty. So it can be oh. 100, it can be five, 600 kilometers, oh, something wow. like that. Okay. Okay, it might be a dwarf planet, but it's still we don't know. So it is a potential. What could it... Then, if it's not a dwarf planet, what could it then be? Very, very clever question. Mm. Because that is the third kind of object, if you remember, that it has a very elliptical orbit, mm-hmm. going very, very, very far away. Yeah. Because it is the third, I think it is the third, yeah, the third mm. object that we have found with these characteristics that are coming from the very inner part of the Oort cloud. Yes. So we have not seen the Oort clouds yet. We think that it is there, that it's all these kind of pieces of rocks and mm-hmm. frozen ice. comets and stuff. Exactly, where the, the long period comets are coming. So that is involving our sun. But we have three objects. One is Senna, which is another candidate to kind of dwarf planet. Mm-hmm. The other one has very funny name, 2012, blah, 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 blah. And the third one will be the Goblin. Right. That is important in that way. And the other good thing it is the connection that the point in that they're closest to the sun, it is the one that we should expect if there is a super Earth, another mm. planet. In planet the, X or planet 9. In the outer skirts of the solar system. But I'm a bit uneasy about adding the Goblin as a sixth dwarf, dwarf planet. planet at the okay. moment. Okay. Because uh-huh. we don't have enough information about That's it. Fair. I mean, if the if the average... Sorry, if the error in the diameter of this thing is more than the actual diameter of this thing, it's a, it's a little suspicious. Uh, but mm. it has to be relatively bright because we can see it at a distance, but we also don't know the albedo, I mean, the, um, how, how bright, how bright how it is reflective. reflecting the light. Because if it is mainly made of ice, mm. then it might be very small, but have a lot of reflectivity, meaning that it's very bright. And just put into perspective the smallest dwarf planet that we now know, which is Ceres in, mm-hmm. in the asteroid belt. How it is small is that one? 900 tons or so. Okay, kilometers. so that, that's a decent. Yeah. It's a decently bigger, <laughs> three times bigger than the Goblin. At least three times bigger than the yeah. Goblin, at least, well, assuming this. Just a note of caution about there. Interesting. So we're staying a bit sceptical about the Goblin. Well, I'm always sceptical about all these <laughs> things. But also noticing that there are many interesting things happening in the outer skirts of the solar system that we are starting to discover now. Mm-hmm. The other feedback that I have, which is also out of feedback, it is that I have been searching 
in which state in the US Pluto is still a planet by law. Which one is it? Oh my god. New Mexico. Oh wow, okay. In, in New Mexico. Because Klein Tombaf or I don't know exactly how this surname is pronounced. Uh, something it like, stumped me too. Something like that. Taught during 20 years at New Mexico State University. And that was a discover of Pluto. Oh, so he discovered Pluto. And so as an homage to him, they're they keeping did, it as yeah. a planet. So <laughs> they were saying that from time to time, Pluto is passing over the skies of New Mexico and... What it is in the sky in New Mexico, they have to obey the laws of New Mexico, and they have to they have to be a planet by law. That would be so hard for all of the like education institutions in that state that have to get specialized textbooks that say Pluto is a planet. Otherwise, would they get fined for reading a textbook that says Pluto is not a planet? No idea, but uh, I'm guessing that they will be easily many books in the US that still say that Pluto is a planet. Wow, that's that, that's very funny. Hmm. What else do we have? We haven't mentioned the connection between astronomy and Halloween. Yes, please do and, tell me because I'm very curious about and this. And we are starting to run out of time. I have always had this interesting feeling about how many different cultures around the world have been using this kind of moment of the year to think about the people who have died, mm-hmm. their souls, um, their dead, because it is not only appearing in all Celtic traditions and in Northern Europe, but also in North America, Central America, and South America. And particularly, yeah. for example, in Mexico, the Dia de los Muertos, the Day of the Dead, that is also happening in this oh, time okay. of the year, and and it is not coming from the Christian culture. Oh. So that was a tradition that the Aztecs, they already had right. centuries ago. Interesting. We don't know exactly why there is this kind of connection between cultures, perhaps because it is coming from something very even ancient. I don't know. I don't know. But the thing it is that uh, there have been this kind of way of as the seasons are moving, and we talked about seasons last, mm-hmm. in last episode, in this period of the year is halfway through between what is the equinox in September mm. and the solstice in December. In the middle. It is more or less in the middle. Oh, okay. I think that the 7th of November, it is actually the point in the middle, the day in the middle. Yeah. So there is a special way of celebrating that. And in old times, around that day, and I'm talking in the Middle Ages and so on, before the entry of the Gregorian calendar that we have now, mm. the maximum culmination of the Pleiades at midnight happened exactly in that moment. Oh. And that was thought that when in, if in midnight you see the Pleiades almost... In the, in the, not in the zenith, but very close to the, the, the upper part of the sky, yep. then the souls of our deaths or the ghosts are coming to visit us. Oh. For the Celts, this cross-quarter day between the September equinox and the December solstice marked the end of the harvest season and the beginning of the year. It was when winter, sawin, started. 
Cells change in seasons not in the solstices or equinoxes, but in the cross-quarter days. Eventually, around the 9th century, the Christian Church shift the date of All Saints' Day from May to November. Ooh, okay. <laughs> November the 1st was All Saints' Day, and November the 2nd became All Souls' Day. Huh. With the time, the Samhain and the All Saints' Day merged, and the name of All Hallows' Evening, or Halloween, Halloween. appeared. Right, well, there you go. So this is, again, a bit of history of the evolution of our calendar, which is completely related to astronomy. Cool. So that is the some way of kind of connection between the Halloween yeah. and, uh, astronom and astronomy. That's so cool. As another thing, as another festivity in the calendar. Yeah, another... We, we have to dig a bit and then we can find this kind of connections. Mm, another quote-unquote holiday <laughs> that is defined by astronomy. Yeah. In some way, in some way. In some way. Mm -hmm. That is very cool. Yeah, I like that a lot. I love how we learn new things on this podcast. Always, always learning new things. Okay, so we've had our space news, we've had our feedback, which has turned into our entire theme for the yeah, day. It's has been a long, long episode so far, but we still have... We still have What's Up? What's Up? What is up? What is up? So, we were talking about connecting different objects with uh, Halloween themes and... Mm -hmm. We thought that as this time of the year, from the southern hemisphere again, sorry guys, in the northern hemisphere, the Magallanic clouds are starting to be very high in the sky. Yes, they are. In the large Magallanic cloud, there is a very interesting star-forming region, which is called 30 Dorados, or the Tarantula Nebula. Ooh, spooky. The Tarantula Nebula. It is a fantastic thing to look at. And you know what? Apparently, it's also known as the Great Looped Nebula, which makes sense because it is very loopy in structure. But it's also called, and get this, you ready for it? True Lover's Knot. Oh, Isn't that so, wonderful? so nice for that spooky Halloween theme. <laughs> we should remove this from the podcast now. Anyway, that is the largest uh, star from in region that we know in in our neighborhood, oh. so it's very nice. Just, How big is it? It is around 200 parsecs. What? <laughs> Not even 200 light years, 200 parsecs. parsecs. So Whoa. that is two, three, four, almost seven, 700, 700 light years, 700 <gasps> light years wide. Oh it is goodness. not the largest one. I think that uh, was very interesting start from in region in M33. Mm -hmm. It is uh, NGC 605, if I remember properly. It is even larger than that. Huh. But again, it is just a crazy factory forming plenty of stars. And many stars are also dying a supernova. Recently, in 1987, in the outer skirts of the Tarantula Nebula, Ooh. it was when the supernova 1987A exploded. And it was a very interesting object to... Gosh, 87 was just the year to be around, apparently. You got the supernova, it was the year after Halley's Comet flew by. God, I was just born too late. Jeez. <laughs> and I was still too young. <laughs> <laughs> and anyway, and it is at a distance of well, the Magallanic Cloud, the large Magallanic Cloud, around mm. 160,000 light years from us. And again, you can easily identify it even with binoculars, but please have a look through a telescope. 
Yes. And you know what's really cool? I know we're calling it as our what's up right now because it's nice and high, but it actually, from Sydney, never goes below the horizon. Oh, yep. It's mm-hmm. always up in the night sky from here in Sydney. Because it is very close to the South Celestial Pole. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons why our friends from the Northern Hemisphere can't see it. Yes, sorry. <laughs> okay, for the next episode, we have to look for someone that can be seen in at least in both hemispheres. Yes. Besides the WhatsApp, I actually have been looking a couple of extra names for to a bit of completeness of the spooky themes mm. by Halloween or whatever, some funny names that we can find in some astronomical objects. And I like particularly this one, the Witch Head Nebula. <laughs> there is one. <laughs> the Witch Head Nebula. Yes. Fantastic. I see 2118 which is in the constellation of the river, Eridanus, mm-hmm. and, and, it is, and it is a reflection nebula, perhaps the remnant of the supernova, but still not clear. It is illuminated precisely by Rigel, ah. the supergiant star in Orion. Oh, beautiful. So Isn't it's, that nice? It's very nice. So the name it is because the shape seems to remind to someone. I don't know. What do you think? Looks something like... Like... Oh, yeah, yeah. I could see that. Kind it's, of a, a witch big, big with the nose. nose and the long cheek and mm. so on. Well, whatever. Uh, the, <laughs> Certainly the, imaginative. Of, as always in astronomy. As always. The other one was the pumpkin nebula. Of course. <laughs> or pumpkin the nebula. calabash nebula, oh. which is a protoplanetary nebula. So, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. Planetary nebula... Protoplanetary nebula, are they similar? Uh, the protoplanetary nebula, it is a stage before getting right. the structure that we understand like a planetary nebula with the white dwarfs in the center. Gotcha, so in gotcha. that object, for example, we can't find still the white dwarf there. It is a star that is peeling itself right. at around 5,000 light years in the constellation of puppies. Oh, nice. So here, also mainly visible from the southern hemisphere, sorry. Mm. Calabash Nebula is almost certain a member of the open cluster Messier 46, at the since it has the same distance, radial velocity, and proper motion. So there it goes, another interesting object with a Halloween-y Halloween-y name. name. <laughs> Two more interesting nebula associated to Halloween might be NGC 246, which is also called the Skeleton Nebula, ah. which is another planetary nebula in situ at around 1600 light years from us. Oh, nice. And IC63, the ghost in Cassiopeia. Oh, cool. At around 600 light years from us. Uh, that is also a reflection nebula. In any case, There is something that I would like to use for wrapping up this episode, which is something that scared me the most. Oh, what could scare you? Losing the dark. Oh, no, that is scary. Losing the dark. That is very, very scary. How are we losing the dark? I mean, other than the normal ways of just light pollution in general. Well, light, light pollution in general, that is very scary. And although people are scared of the dark, I'm scared of losing the dark. Mm. Because it is in the dark when we can see 
all these wonderful things in the universe. Yes, remember, happy place, happy place, happy place. Happy place, happy place. And, and that is also why I would like to mention this crazy news that we have had recently from a town or a city in China that they are mentioning the idea of setting a satellite, reflecting the light of the sun, and having perpetual day over that region. What? Yeah. Actually, no, I heard about this. Putting, they want to put up some sort of artificial moon that will be there all the time. To They want to reduce electricity costs. And yeah, they want to reduce that following the information that I have here, which is coming from the International Dark Sky Association. They have to release a communicate urging the decision of please don't put an artificial moon because that is crazy. Mm. They are using this kind of illumination satellites, reflective surfaces, to redirect the sunlight into the city of Chengdu. Okay. And that will reflect sunlight to Earth over an area of 3,600 to 6,400 square kilometers. And how is this going to work? I don't know, but using three huge mirrors that will divide the 360-degree orbital plane realizing illuminating an area for 24 hours continuously. But it is a bit weird. They say that we'll be able to save around $170 million per year. But at the same time, there is some place that they are saying that this satellite have to be at around 500 kilometers from the Earth. Yes. Which is... Not far. Not far, a very so, low orbit. So it would have to be going pretty fast to stay in orbit. And that has to be also very expensive. Yes, especially if they want to put up three of them. So I will expect something like this in a geostationary orbit, mm. which is 30,000 uh, yeah. uh, kilometers away. But then that's really far away. You're going to have to have a pretty big mirror. I will be not be able to do what, what they are saying. Anyway, we sh should keep aware of this kind of initiatives. They are, it seems that they are not giving too many details, although the idea is that the first, there will be three satellites of this, and the first one will be launched in 2020. Oh dear, that is not far away. Not far away. So that is what scares me at the moment, losing the dark. And it is not only we astronomers, but everyone who is losing the opportunity of looking into the sky and mm. enjoying that. Something that we have been mentioning that many, many times in, in the podcast. Yes, truly scary indeed. That's pretty a, a bit of a bummer to end on. We should end on something no, nice no. and fun. No, no. We have to finish with something cooler, which is connecting definitely with this, that uh, I'm not sure if... Perhaps you, you have to know who the astronaut Chris Hanfield. Yes, I love the, Chris Hanfield. He's yeah, great. The Canadian astronaut. Last year, he published a book for kids that is called The Darkest Dark. Oh, okay. And it is very nice. I have it for my son. Because it is explaining what happened to him when he was a kid. And he was really afraid of being alone in the dark, oh. which is something typical that is happening to everyone and all kids. Mm. Even my son, he came to our bed again at 2 or 3 a.m. this morning. <laughs> because oh, I'm afraid of the dark. But you know that monsters don't exist. Doesn't matter how but many things. Dwarf goblins, they're out there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or may not. <laughs> 
<laughs> may not, <laughs> because perhaps it is not a third planet, and it will not be named Goblin because the International Astronomical Union will put no. another name. Anyway, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, he was already much into, when he was a kid, and nine, ten years old perhaps, he was very much into space things, mm -hmm. more chasing aliens than other things. <laughs> but then he watched in the TV the landing of the Apollo 11 into the moon. Ooh. That, by the way, next year will be the 50th yes, anniversary will. of that. And that made him to start thinking about astronomy and not be afraid of the dark. Aww. So it is a very nice book that I recommend for, particular, for kids, but also for grown-ups. And it is very nicely illustrated by the Fan Brothers. I don't know who they are, but it's very nice uh, drawings there. And, and again, it is just telling the story of why we have to preserve the dark and why it is so important, the dark. That sounds wonderful. I think I would be able to, I would benefit from that book, I think. <laughs> Chris Hanfield actually have done a bit of advertisement of this and produced a little video that you can find in YouTube ah. with a song that he's singing by himself about how he was feeling in the dark when Ooh. he was a kid. That'll be good. That so sounds I, great. I think that is a better way of finishing this episode today. Sounds great. Let's do it. We are going to finish with that. But first, we are going to thank you there. And uh, please, if you have more feedback, we are really looking forward to that. Yes. Thank you, Anthony, Nathaniel, Wesley, Sam, Justin, and Angela for sending in your questions. We do have more questions, which we'll come back to next time, I think. Mm -hmm. But please do send in more of your questions. We love it. It is so great. Yeah, we made the full episode answering questions <laughs> and the connected first with one Halloween. Hopefully, many. Okay, well, uh, enjoy the song. See you next time. See you. Bye bye. Bye. What's that in the corner of my room? I think it's going to eat me soon. Oh no, that's just my closet door. But what's that rustling, moving, hustling, creaking noises? Girls and boys, I don't want to sleep here anymore. The window, what's that light there in the darkest, darkest night there? All the sparkling lights there from a million tiny suns and moons and stars. Hmm, I can only see the stars when it is the darkest dark. That's a very important insight Now what's that in the corner of my room? It's moons and stars and morning soon Instead of bad, I'll say good night Good night <laughs>